Are you suffering from chronic joint or back pain? Downtown's Healthcare in Denver offers effective alternative therapies that are non-invasive, non-surgical, and drug-free. Start your journey to a pain-free life. Call Downtown's Healthcare at 303-292-9992, now in Lowry or downtown. Hello, everyone. It's that time for the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show, where we answer questions about technology, explain the way they should work, and why they don't sometimes. And now here's your host, John C. Morley. Well, hey, everybody. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome once again to the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. And it's another great Friday, the last Friday of the month, Marcus. It's great to have you here. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing outstanding. And the last Friday, did you just say that correctly? <laughs> yeah, it's the last Friday of the month. Uh, I mean, next Friday is going to be the 2nd of April. And that's no fooling. <laughs> Man, where do time go, John? I don't know. I mean, this whole thing with the pandemic and just things are moving really quickly, aren't they? Yeah, it is. It, it definitely it is. I don't know. But speaking about things moving along, um, you know, uh, Google, um, Facebook and Twitter CEOs, uh, they're starting to possibly get into some hot water. And it's more than just a jaw drop. Unfortunately, um, the feds are turning up the heat for them. And uh, they're going to have to start, let's say, explaining <laughs> why they had misinformation being disseminated on their platform. Oh, man. Ooh, talking about the stuff being moved along pretty fast. So, yeah, the, the, the vaccine hesitation and COVID this this is just information that can be quickly misconstrued and and Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, all of these these big boys, they know it. They know it. And and they just don't want to lose their 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 base. They 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 think they can just bully their way into staying relevant. I agree. And now that I mean you see these pictures of these people with their jaws basically dropped, you know they're worried. Yeah. And I think what's really going to drive this is what's happening with the unemployment. Are they going to give more? Are they going to give a fourth stimulus check? I mean, there's rumor that there might be a fourth one. I don't know if that's true or not. But people are really just kind of like almost in waiting mode. You know what I'm saying? Like right. they don't want to go back to work, Marcus. No, they don't. Uh, there's a lot of people who's gotten very comfortable with the way things are. Uh, that's why they call it the new normal, uh, because it, it has been normalized. But the government can't just keep handing out money forever. Absolutely not. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to run its course, and I think it has already, uh, and people just need to face, face the music. Well... Speaking about facing the music and bringing Google back again. So Google's cloud caps sales commissions as their losses are continuing to pile up. Oh, pooey, you know. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Last year, Google said that they lost 5.6 
billion, not million, billion on their cloud computing business infrastructure. I guess the biggest question here that I, I got for you, John, is this due to like just competition or, or just the fact that people aren't trusting what Google's doing? I think it's coming down to a couple things, Marcus. One, I believe that they are starting to lose trust in the American people. Mm. We see people going to Duck and other browsers. I think they're starting to lose their share. And if they keep going the way they're going, there may not be a G in the name anymore. Now, I'm not saying tomorrow, but... I think they're going to clean things up before that happens. However, a lot of people I talk to, they're not putting the confidence in them. And, you know, some of this is happening because more people are home and they're working from home and they're starting to have a firsthand experience of what's going on with IE, Google Cloud, et cetera. And when they're starting to see issues, Marcus, that's when people decide that, wait a minute, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. When you got $5.6 billion of business loss, that's real money. You know, that's, that's not little money for, for a company such as uh, Google just to be playing around with. And, and like you said, people are seeing the veil uh, being ripped here and getting a peek of, of what's really going on, and yeah, they're they're, they're running away from from these guys now. Um, it, it, exactly, yeah. and you know the funny thing is, you know, companies like you know the different cable providers that we have all over the world, mm-hmm. they've been really screwing up, and. You know, nobody was really doing anything about it except they're starting to complain. But I got to tell you, there's some class class action lawsuits starting to be filed against these uh, big cable companies. I know Altis, New Jersey is having some big issues because they're starting to admit that there were problems. And now they're going on the federal level and the FCC is starting to realize it, not because of a complaint, Marcus, because of a pattern of complaints. And you know, as well as I do, the government doesn't get involved with one complaint or two complaints. There has to be a string of them over a certain period of time for them to really get involved. Well, these companies have tried to monopolize their markets for way too long. And people are waking up, like you said, John. You you right on track here. And they're, they're, they're sick and tired of it. And and now, with, like, like the old saying says, it's like with every great empire, it must come to a fall at some point. I always say that if you're on this side of the table today, always be nice to people because you never know if the table's going to turn. And that goes for you on your side or it goes for you being on the other side because the tables can turn. And I think if we have a humble attitude and the table flips, it's not such a big deal. But when we come with this higher than mighty attitude with an ego bigger than the largest building in the world, that that's a lot to chew on. 
It definitely is. And you can't you can't bully pulpit people for, for long. No, you 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 certainly cannot. Speaking about technology, and a lot of firsts have been happening, you know, uh, seeing the CEO's uh, jaws drop like we've never seen, seeing Google Cloud cap sales commissions. These are firsts. Well, we have another first. The first man to ever talk on a cell phone. My next guest is Mr. Martin Cooper. He was involved in the wireless industry since 1954, 29 years at Motorola, including forming and managing the division that created and ran Motorola's cellular business when it was the world leader. You remember those times, don't you? Conceived the first portable handheld cell phone and introduced it in 1973. The CEO of CBSI that managed information services and billing for most carriers in early days of cellular. Conceived the law of spectral efficiency, Cooper's law, that states that technology has doubled the capacity of radio frequency spectrum every 30 months since the Marconi commercialized radio at the turn of the 20th century. Served on the public and private boards of directors, members of the FCC Technological Advisory Council, and a trustee of the Illinois Institute of Technology. Wow, this is an amazing man. I cannot wait to interview him. Please help me welcome to the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show, the man who has made the very first phone call and the man who first talked on a cell phone, Mr. Martin Cooper. Well, hey everyone, it's John C. Morley with the J. Moore Tech Talk Show, and I am so grateful today uh, to have a wonderful guest, uh, Martin Cooper, who has a lot of knowledge when it comes to, and I guess knowledge is really um, a very uh, short word. I should actually be saying more than knowledge because he has a lot more than that. He has experience and so many other words that I don't think Miriam uh, Webster has actually uh, come up with to put in the dictionary yet and probably never will. So welcome, Martin, to the show. It is a pleasure to have you. John, thanks for inviting me. Well, let's get started on your journey. So I have to ask you, with just looking at your background and things like that, so what got you into the whole field of cellular and later we'll talk about 5G? What got you on this path? Well, you know, we were actually kind of forced into this path because I was at Motorola and Motorola okay. in the two-way radio business. We made the police radios uh, and we had discovered that people really would like to have the freedom to communicate everywhere. And of course, at that time, we were talking about the, the 1960s, uh, there were no portable telephones. And then uh, the Bell system, which, which made all the phones in those days, you couldn't even buy a phone. You had to rent it from the Bell system. Uh, and they announced that they were going to set us free from the copper wire. They were going to give us cellular phones, and their version of cellular phones was car phones. Now, just think about it. We've been trapped for 100 years. We've been tied to our desks, chains to our, to our kitchens uh, by that copper wire, and now the Bell system is going to set us free only when we're in our cars. We didn't think that made sense, uh, but the Bell system has a lot of influence uh, in with our government. 
And it sounded like they were going to win the battle, that they were going to get to be a monopoly and force us to have only car phones for our cellular service. We just thought that was uh, impossible. And that's when I decided the only way we're going to persuade the world, well, here we are battling with the biggest company in the world. Uh, the only way we're going to win that is to actually show people what the freedom of being able to communicate anywhere was. And that's how we started with the cell phone. I have to say, I mean, to take something from wires to go to wireless, and now some people are giving up, I guess, their home wires. I still like to have both. Uh, I like to know that I have a landline, but some people don't want their landline, do they? They want to get rid of it. Well, the record shows that the number of uh, landline phones is actually decreasing now. There are, there are 62 million landline uh, subscriptions in the country today. There are more subscriptions for cell phones than there are people. Over over 400 million cell phone subscriptions. So the, the uh, landline is disappearing. Now, when you mentioned about, you know, working with the wireless and getting into, obviously, the first cell phone, I know my very first cell phone I got when I was in college. And it was a pack, probably about this big. And I think it was around four or $5,000. It was by Mitsubishi or NEC. And you had to have uh, a workout every time you carried it with you. Uh, what was the first cell phone like that you actually uh, worked well, with? Well, it's uh, funny that you say that. I happen to have one. This, this is the very first portable handheld cell phone. This is the, 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 an exact uh, replica of the phone that I uh, made a call on on the streets of New York in, on April 3rd, 1973. Uh, as you can see, just so you get the right idea, when we designed the phone, it was a little phone, just like a modern phone. And then we had to put in thousands of individual parts. The, uh, these were primitive times. Uh, this phone only talks and listens, that's all. That's all it does. It's just a uh, telephone. Now, that phone looks a little smaller than my phone. When I had the pack, what was what did I have and compared to that? Because I had this great big NEC pack. Uh, did that, come af that came after that, obviously. So what was the transition, I guess? Well, before cellular, there were just a very few radio channels in every city. And that's what you were doing. You were talking on a radio channel. You probably had to press the talk when you wanted to talk and then let go to listen if you I did when I had Nextel but when I had this phone it was a pack and I still remember this day I had to punch a code in and you punched a code in to unlock the phone right. because at that time making phone calls wasn't inexpensive you picked up the phone it was analog and I would dial and I'd hit send you know there is no dial tone in, in cellular most people say where's the dial tone well there's no dial tone you dial at the number you hit send and I would just hope and pray that the call went through or it hang up and do it again. But mine was a lot bigger. Now, I saw a phone similar to yours. Um, we called it a GTE or a saddle or cell phone, satellite phone or something like that. Um, that's what reminded me of what you were showing me. And I think some of the Red Cross still uses them today. Uh, well, there were satellite phones as well. But I think the, the time you're talking about, John, uh, I think was uh, uh, before cellular. Could it have been before 1983? 
I had the cell phone. I'm going to tell you exactly what year I had it in. I got it in 19, uh, probably 1992 or 1993. Well, that it was a great big pack. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they did have... The, by 1993, there were no more uh, car phones, so, uh, so they uh, they did have uh, cell phones with battery packs on them, uh, and you had one of them. But even those became obsolete very quickly. And then after that, I did put the pack into my car. And I still remember to this day that you know it would take a lot of battery usage and also the horn. Uh, you had to buy a separate kit to allow the horn to go off. So when you were out of the car and people were wondering, well, why is your horn going off? Oh, that's my phone ringing, your phone ringing. And that was like bizarre because nobody knew what that was. That was like unheard of. It was very ahead of its time. That's a good example though of uh, freedom means you don't have to think about the technology. (laughs) If I may ask you, Martin, if you can share us, who did you call? Uh, What was your first call? Where did you call and how long was it? Well, you remember that the uh, Bell System I mentioned was the biggest company in the world. They really didn't think much of us uh, at Motorola. We were a little company. They didn't think we had any influence. And so I decided that I was going to call my counterpart in the Bell System, a fellow named uh, Dr. Joel Engel. Uh, and he was running the uh, this whole enormous cellular program for AT&T. And I was being interviewed by uh, a reporter, very much like yourself, John. Uh, and uh, uh, I thought about the, who should I call? And I took out my address book. Remember, at that time, if you had an address book, it was on paper. And I uh, uh, serendipitously thought about uh, uh, Joel Engel. Uh, and I called him. And miraculously, he answered the phone. Not his assistant. <laughs> but I said, uh, he says, hello. I said, uh, hi, Joel. It's Marty Cooper. He says, hi, Marty. I said, uh, Joel, I'm calling you on a cell phone, but a real cell phone, a portable, handheld cell phone. Silence on the other end of the line. I suspect <laughs> ripping his teeth. So uh, to this day, uh, Joe doesn't, he doesn't dispute that we made the call, but he doesn't remember it, and I guess I don't blame him. <laughs> he, he, he may have chose to, to not want to remember because it was such a, uh, an interesting time for him, and he probably didn't want to remember it because he didn't do it. Well, I don't want to pick on him, John, but <laughs> even today, uh, he tells me that he turns his cell phone on when he wants to make a call and then turns it off again. So he doesn't quite get the idea of the value of being connected, and he certainly didn't then. It's funny, Martin, how, you know, when I graduated uh, college and even before that, the cell phone became such a staple in my car for communicating and doing business. It was like, you remember the commercials, they would say, when you go into your car, you're locked out out of the business world, out of the community, out of your family. There's no contact. And they used that for a long time, and then they killed that. And then they went to the portable where you're now walking around. And when they told me that I was going to have a cell phone to hold in my hand, I thought this was so weird to have a cell phone that 
wasn't mounted in my car anymore. But I remember the days too, Martin, when you had the different networks like uh, Cellular One. And I still remember that then there was 9X. And I remember that when I made a phone call, I wanted to get the cheapest price possible. So I didn't pay for Verizon Wireless uh, or 9X. I went through Cellular One which at that time didn't have their own network. I learned that they resold services of either 9X or it was Verizon or whoever it was, and you couldn't get their customer service directly. You had to go through another, uh, oh, you're, you're a seller, one customer, yeah, we'll get you transferred over. Finally, about two years in, they gave you a special three-digit code, star and three digits, which would hop you over to them. And it was weird because every time you had a billing question, oh, we can't help you. You're a cellular one customer. And it was just, you know, very bizarre. Uh, and you probably remember this too. The first time I went to New York with my car and I had my cell phone in it, you know, you get a bill every month. Well, the next month I got my bill and it was about $6,000. <laughs> and my bill is usually around 700 Now, people would think we're crazy right now. But again, that's a long time back. $700 was cheap to have the ability to use a cell phone and make calls, even though you didn't make them as much. I still remember having a plan that was 60 minutes or 45 minutes. And, you know, you really use those minutes sparingly because the cost for those minutes, Martin, as you know, they weren't cheap. And then we had roaming, which finally they got rid of. So I would come back and I'd get this bill and I would say to the company, I didn't make those calls. Well, you were in New York. I said, Yes, I was in New York, and I came back home. And if you know, I made a call uh, actually just a few minutes before that call, and I was actually in Bergen County two minutes before that call. How could I be in Bergen County and then three minutes before be just outside the Lincoln Tunnel? Well, we don't know. I said, I'm going to tell you how that's possible. You see, I think somebody cloned my phone. No, 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 no. That's not possible. I think it is. Uh, we're going to have to escalate this to the fraud department. They sent me to the fraud department, and 30 days later, uh, Mr. Morley, uh, it appears you might be right. I think someone else has the same cell phone number as you. Every time I went to New York, this was about for a few years, they would constantly keep cloning my number, and I would have to constantly keep getting the number changed. Now with the, the SIM chips and stuff, they changed all that, uh, eSIMs and stuff. But then we went digital, and that was such a relief. Uh, what do you think spurred that? Was it just things like cloning, or what really made that change from the analog world to the digital? That was always fascinating to me. Well, first of all, there's a, there's, we'll always have crooks around. Okay. <laughs> there were crooks in the old days. Uh, they had a, a thing called a blue box where they could make long distance calls. You remember long distance? I do. I'd be too young for long distance, too. I do remember long distance, and I still remember when you would dial a code like 1002, an access code to get out, and then you'd make a phone call. And uh, I even remember the days of pay phones. And I remember uh, one of my friends, he didn't have a quarter. Uh, or a dime or a card, and he needed to make a phone call. And I saw him take apart the phone, and he crossed the two wires, and I was like, okay. <laughs> Put it back together, made the call. 
And uh, we don't see pay phones around at all. In fact, the ones we see, they're all just in museums and they're not, they don't even offer, I think, pay phone service anymore. Yeah, well, that uh, demonstrates how pervasive the cell phone has gotten. Uh, and uh, even more so in uh, developed countries, undeveloped countries. Uh, in, in Africa, uh, smartphones are not the thing. Just any phone uh, will elevate people, give them ways to save money, uh, to uh, transfer money. Uh, so uh, we brag about what the smartphone does in this country. In, in Africa, over a billion people over the last 20 years have moved out of poverty. You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforumc.org. We are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforumc.org largely because of the cell phone. So uh, the uh, cell phone is doing a lot more for people than just uh, allowing them to call home and ask what's for dinner tonight on, on the way home. Did you ever think, Martin, that the cell phone would become as much of a household name and use and business use as it is today? Did you think it would be as revolutionary as it is? Of course. We never predicted that we would have a, a camera uh, the internet, uh, uh, integrated circuits. We never predicted that the phone would get as complicated as, as it is today. But we knew that everybody someday would have one. And this, uh, what we said when people asked us that question was someday when you were born, you would be assigned a phone number. And if you didn't answer the phone, you had died. So uh, yes, we knew that everybody was going to have a, a phone someday. And some people have multiple numbers. And I remember when they had the ability to get multiple phone lines on one phone. And that was yeah. a great enhancement. There are more subscriptions of cell phones in the world today than there are people. So uh, I don't think there's ever been a, an invention or a service that has been that pervasive in, in such a short time. It's only been uh, 40 years to have wow. something like zero to more than the number of people in the world is quite remarkable. Now, something that always comes up a lot, Martin, and I'm sure as it started and now today it's changed. Uh, I think there's something called SARS. There's like a safety level for the phones. Was that a lot different back then? I mean, they were a lot more dangerous back then. Today, they really, the FCC has clamped down on everything. What was all that like when you were first starting with the cell phone? We always were concerned that maybe radio waves had some effect on people. And uh, we studied that 50, 60 years ago uh, at Motorola because we were selling handheld portables, not very different than uh, uh, today's phones. 
and we wanted to be sure that people weren't going to be hurt by them. In that last 50, 60 years, there have been thousands of tests of research, of analysis, and the fact is that there is no known phenomenon that can allow these radio waves to affect you in any way at all. What radio waves do to your body is they warm it. That's how a microwave oven works. Well, the amount of warming that you get from a cell phone is insignificant. So the FCC does have rules, and the manufacturers follow those rules, but the power could be 10 times or 100 times more, and it would be perfectly safe. But they do have something out. I'm not sure if it's nonsense or not. I mean, half the time things are put in the media, you don't know if you can believe them or not. They talk about a child has to be 15 years or older to be able to use a cell phone or it can affect his or her head. Yeah, well, I'm not a doctor and I'm not, okay. uh, but, but I can tell you that from an engineering standpoint, the amount of energy coming out of a cell phone is not a, a, a enough to affect any mind. So people are, I think, are being overly cautious, uh, but uh, caution is, is uh, not necessarily a bad thing. No, it's not. I mean, they ride under a tower and suddenly they think they have a headache. I think some of it is uh, in their mind. Not that they don't have a headache, but I don't know if it was really the cell phone that caused the headache. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. The, uh, if you're going Psycho Psychosomatic a disorders. Yeah, you, there's less energy coming to your head from that tower than from your own cell phone. And, and even that is insignificant. Now, when you develop this product, can I ask you, what was the name or the model? Do you remember the model of the phone that you developed, what it was called? Was there a model number? or? Well, the, uh, the very first phone we call the Dynatech. And, and Dynatech stands for Dynamic Adaptive Total Area Coverage. Uh, because I had in my mind all the technology that could make cellular much, much more effective. And uh, uh, as of today, the carriers are just starting with 5G to put in the adaptive part of what we talked about uh, 40 years ago. But the, so the first phone was a Dynatech. We stuck with that name. 10 years later, the first commercial phone was the uh, Dynatech 8000. And, and uh, that was, phone was uh, smaller than this phone, weighed only a pound and a half instead of two and a half pounds. Uh, but uh, that was- How long was that phone able to operate for? On standby, and how long could you talk on it for with the battery life? By the, by the uh, 1983, we'd gotten up to an hour of talk time. And if you were lucky, uh, the battery would last a day. But you would have to charge it every day. Of course, you'd have to do that with modern phones. But that mm -hmm. phone only talked and listened. That's all it did. Didn't it have did. any other data capability. It just was sending a signal to... Uh, Right. The only complicated thing was it would remember your favorite numbers. But, is uh, it very similar to the way I, I'm also a first responder and also being an engineer? I have a license uh, to talk on FCC uh, for my radio. And, uh, you know, when you think about how that's doing, is it very similar to that principle? Or would you say it's a little more dumbed down than that? Because we're basically toning in a frequency number and then we communicate on that. Is that similar to how the first cell phone operated, that it was a pre-programmed frequency or not quite that elaborate? 
Well, that's how also cell phones work with you. Okay. The technology is that when you want to make a phone call, you are connected into the network, and the network finds you a channel. And, and, and there are actually, it, 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 what they do with modern cell phones is amazing technologically. But there are, you have a choice of thousands of channels. And, and the system will select this channel that has the highest probability of having a good signal, assuming that there is coverage. Mm-hmm. So that's, there's a lot of stuff that goes on every time you uh, make a cell phone call. Uh, but uh, as I mentioned before, that's a sign of good technology that all this stuff goes on. And all you know is that you're getting connected. Very and there's cool. no crackling, because I know in the very beginning you got crackling, and if it transferred from tower to tower in the beginning, I don't think the calls were really transferring to towers. Then they they expanded it so that the towers could handshake and pass the call. That wasn't something that came out in the very beginning, I don't believe. Well, it was, because uh, that is that is what cellular is. They call that handoff. Handoffs, so okay. From one cell to another, or from one signal to another, that you uh, the, the call switches over. And it should be seamless. You should not even hear it. And of course, today it is. But we had growing pains at the beginning. In the beginning, being on a car, you know, making calls and knowing that you made a call and if the weather was bad, uh, I guess it didn't make, I always say it didn't make it to that tower. It didn't make the jump. And sometimes the call would be dropped. <laughs> yeah, well, that was really pre-cellular. Uh, they, they, they had just a few radio channels in the city. Uh, they uh, could accommodate maybe a hundred people in New York. Well, there were a hundred big shots in New York that would insist on having services. So they put a thousand people on. What happens when you put a thousand people on a, enough channels to only handle a hundred? You Every degrade time. the service, just like what happens with the internet. You, and you have connection problems and dropouts and uh, right. unavailability issues. Well, in New York, uh, in the uh, late 1960s, the chances of getting on a channel when you want to make a call were like one in 20 during the busy hour. Okay. So wasn't very good service. It reminds me, it's to something that still happens today, even with all our technology. Uh, it's not happening during the pandemic, unfortunately, but when it's New Year's Eve and the bell, the ball drops, and you want to call your loved ones and friends, and wish them a happy new year. If you don't have that call ready to go before the ball is down, you're going to get unavailable. Uh, your phone's not going to be able to make a call, and it's just going to be uh, <laughs> useless because they're not expecting that many people to just all go online at one time. Depends you never where, have a problem any other time, though. Yeah, depends where you are, but you're right. Uh, in some places, there is so much capacity now Really, think about it, that you have the option of several thousand of radio channels every time you want to make a call. Well, if, uh, if you're in uh, Podunk, Iowa, you'll never, ever have a problem. There always will be a channel. If you're in Times Square trying to make a phone call when the ball drops, uh, it would take a lot of capacity to handle all, all of those phone calls. I remember my first... Um actual portable cell phone and I went to Europe and uh, it wasn't so easy getting a call over there because at that time you had to have a different phone. It didn't have GSM. It wasn't able to handle the different networks. So it was a major project 
to get a phone that would allow me to make phone calls. Now you can just, you know, pay for what you need as you want and dial it in. Yeah, it is uh, uh, quite miraculous. It took a lot of work to make that happen. But you can now travel around the world with one phone and talk almost everywhere. Now, what happened after you got that cell phone developed? What was the next step after that phone? Is that when you went into like a like the next tell? Like where did the where did that come? Like what was the path? So you had that first device. What happened after you you engineered that first portable cell phone? What was the next step after that? Well, we've been through a multiple generations, as you know. We, we yes. talk about five G. There was a one G, two G, three G, and so <laughs> forth. So the first phones were analog. You know, they the Technology was very similar to what a radio station was. Uh, it, that lasted for perhaps 10 years, but during that 10 years, we developed digital technology. Now you have the ability, first of all, uh, to encode the voice. Uh, and uh, you mentioned before, we got rid of the crackling. Mm -hmm. what, that was very simple. If we had a strong enough signal, we would like to talk. And if the signal wasn't strong enough, we'd shut you off completely. So you never had crackling, you were either on or off. So the second generation was uh, digital. Uh, 3G uh, introduced lots of digital services uh, that were not existent before, including uh, internet access and things of that nature. Uh, 4G increased the speed, uh, and uh, today we're implementing 5Gs. It's just a, a kind of a continuity. The only really big change ever it was going from analog to digital. They're saying that there are going to be a lot of changes in 5G. I haven't seen it yet, other than the speeds. We're talking about Internet of Things, and we're talking about why they needed to migrate to something that is more robust. Are we going to see this, other than speeds, are we going to see anything different? Because what all the media always says is that, you know, we're going to get 5G, and this is being done because of the new immersive technology. AR and virtual reality, and also E911 is now going to be part of buildings, they say, so that when you're using your phone, it's now going to go through a different network than it does now. Well, you're absolutely right about things like virtual reality. We've got a long way to go before we have 3D virtual reality or augmented reality. But so the carriers have introduced 5G very expensive, it's, uh, at least for people like Verizon and AT&T. It's focused on what's called millimeter waves, very high frequencies, which are only practical in the most dense areas downtown. Are you suffering from chronic joint or back pain? Downtown's Healthcare in Denver offers effective alternative therapies that are non-invasive, non-surgical, and drug-free. Start your journey to a pain-free life. Call Downtown's Healthcare at 303-292-9992, now in Lowry or downtown. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. New York, downtown Chicago, downtown L.A. Uh, 
And as far as people are concerned, you will not notice any difference at all. The two big things that happen with 5G are super high speeds and low latency. John, when was the last time you had a latency problem? So I, I don't think I've had a problem. The last time I had a cell phone problem was probably about a year ago. I have the new the new 12, obviously, right now, Max. I would say it was probably a year ago, and I was trying to make a call, and the biggest issue was that the calls were dropping. And what I've noticed with these phones, uh, the Apple and all other phones, the phones are designed, Martin, as you know, to fail. <laughs> uh, the antennas go bad after a period of time. And so what had happened is once I got the new phone, it was working perfectly. It was nothing to do with the network. It was really my phone communicating. Oh, is that you saying you had a phone failure? Yes. Interesting. I had a phone failure, and it was with the antenna. Uh, everything else worked fine. The data was fine. But you're correct. There's no latency. The only issue that I have right now is there's one area in, in Franklin Lakes where I am, and there's one road. And when you travel on this one road, I would say they've gotten better. But 90% of the time or 85% of the time, you'll get through that road if the weather's nice and you won't lose the call. But I usually start saying, hey, I'm on the road here in Franklin Lakes. You know where I am. I'm about a half a mile from where I'm going to lose you. So if I do, we'll have to call each other back when we get to the end of the road. Well, John, you have captured the whole idea very quickly. Uh, what 5G offers is super high speeds that are really not very useful for people. Uh, low latency, which you would never, ever experience a whole bunch of uh, complicated things that are good in factories. But what you want, you don't want all those things because you could never experience them. What you want is good coverage everywhere. Yes. And you gave me an example. 20% of the country is not covered, and it may be a lot more than that. So, And the second thing you want is affordability. Yes. And, and today, the U.S. has one of the highest costs of wireless internet access in the world. And that is uh, terrible because at the beginning, we had the lowest cost cellular service. And, and the reason is there are, our carriers are investing huge amounts of money into 5G, which we won't see any function for uh, for years. And, uh, and for some things like running factories, this, they have a thing called the Internet of Things. Yeah. And my view is we haven't finished the Internet of People yet. And uh, there ought to be a balance between 5G uh, and serving the needs of today's customer. And so I, if it sounds like I'm on the campaign trail. I am, John. You, you definitely are. And, and already these, these wireless providers are stating that they're not going to be allowing unlimited data anymore if you pay for it. If you're in the 5G world, well, we're now going to cap you on the amount of data you use. Unlimited calls, but we're going to start capping you on your data after a certain point. I think it's getting costly for them. A question I have, and you may or may not know the answer or have a rough figure. I've always just wondered this. But I pass by now and see these cell phone towers and some that look really beautiful like a, a tree. <laughs> Others that look like a statue. You'd swear they had nothing to do with, with cell phones. But 
what does one of those towers cost to build and what does it cost to maintain? I've always wondered that. Well, one way to look at it is, uh, you know, I could give you the numbers, but it's different for everything. Okay. If you're in the middle of the city, you've got to rent space on top of a building, and you know that it's got nothing I to do I would be talking that. about towers, maybe I should be clear, that they have erected themselves, not places, because a lot of times they do rent on a building. you got to pay that rent on top. Yeah. Well, the tower is a very small part of it. There's a bunch of equipment in the tower that is where uh, the cost is. But the best way to look at it is, in general, the cost of, of a phone is roughly the cost of what a carrier has to spend to provide service in a, from a tower. So if you have a tower that's serving a thousand people, uh, very likely that uh, uh, tower is going to cost something like three hundred thousand dollars. That makes makes sense. It has to do with the whatever the capacity of that tower is. But the, the uh, amount of money spent to let you have the service that you have uh, is half of it is in the cell phones, half of it is in the network. And what is the ongoing price? So if they spend that price to get it built and let's say engineered, is there a big ongoing cost to keep that tower at peak efficiency? Well, it, it's not the tower, but it's a, there's a tons of overhead involved, and, and uh, there's an issue of, of uh, profitability and uh, how much money they spend on distribution, how much money they're spending because it's supposed to be a competitive uh, service. So uh, it, it, the, uh, the maintenance of the of modern electronic equipment is minimal. The okay. biggest thing is, is overhead services. Uh, the ability for you to make that phone call to find out why your phone's being closed. Somebody's got to answer that phone. Uh, that's where, where the uh, continuing costs are. And, and it is growing the network that they're spending huge amounts of money on. Uh, the part that I, as you've already figured out, that I advocate is anything they do that improves coverage, that lets the uh, small towns have as good coverage as the big cities. That's a great thing. Then they're spending a ton of money on 5G now, uh, and some of it is justified uh, and some of it not because we, the consumers that are paying for the service, are really not getting much benefit from 5G, uh, if any at all. Is there a broader coverage with 5G? If we had to put it onto a chart or a graph, would you say there's a, a marginal difference, 10% as far as coverage range? Is there a bigger difference? Not at all. Not at all. MG has essentially the same coverage, except when it's from these millimeter wave towers, microwave towers, in which case the coverage of a single tower is just a few hundred feet. So you have to be very close to one of those towers to get benefit from 5G if it's 5G millimeter wave. Turns okay. out that uh, one of the carriers, I'm not, not going to mention names. Sure. Now, so I don't want to get you in trouble, John. And one of the carriers is doing 5G without millimeter waves. Uh, and in that case, you get a, such a, the same range for 5G as you would for, uh, for 4G. You would uh, not experience any uh, difference at all in either coverage uh, or how fast things downloaded or uh, anything else of that nature. 
And for our viewers, by the way, I'm not going to say which one either, but you can actually read under the specifications because they're required to tell you under the disclosures how they're providing service. And you can literally see if they're doing that or not. Uh, they don't make it like front news. But when you read the disclosure, they have to tell you, especially in their public offering statement, they have to tell you what they're doing. And I find a lot of times when you call and you have an issue, I know one time I was having a problem making calls and they were going to send a truck out. Okay, they send a truck out. They did some type of investigation. They said, well, we have no problem. I said, well, it's an intermittent problem. You also came out when it was when the sun was out. I was there when it was raining. Oh, we can't send a guy out when it's raining. Well, that's when the problem is. Oh, we're so sorry on that. Well, what am I supposed to do? Well, we can give you like two hours of credit. Don't bother. I mean, so it, it's like, but the one thing I'm very happy with, Martin, is that they did come up with reverse 911. Uh, I'm not sure if that was a combination of the of the cell phone world, because we don't see that in, in the world. We see that a lot with the cell phone now. When somebody dials 911 and they hang up, the 911 system, they started doing it with cellular, but now they do it with homes too. It will literally call you back. So if you're waiting too long and they don't pick up, you just hang up and within literally a minute, it locks your phone. And then it dials you back from another 911 center, literally within 30 or 40 seconds, which I thought was kind of remarkable. Yeah, well, uh, it, uh, if you, uh, I, I know you don't do commercials on this thing, but but I've just uh, come up with a, a new book called Cutting the Cord. And one of the premises I make in my book is that we have only started with the technology and with the benefits that cell phones bring uh, to society. The modern cell phone has a lot to be desired. It's, it's, if you try to build something that does all things for all people and have one device do it, it's not gonna do any of them optimally. And I believe that the cell phone is it just started its evolution. It's gonna have a profound influence on our lives uh, for education People who don't have access to cell phones will not get nearly the education that people do. Uh, people who can uh, uh, be involved in the educational process full time, wherever they are. So, uh, healthcare, you, the future cell phone is going to be measuring your body uh, and looking for the beginnings of diseases. And when it sees a disease, when your cell phone sees, the disease starting, uh, it will notify some database. You'll get the information on how to treat it. There's the potential that we'll eliminate disease because of the cell phone. So there, all kinds of things are going to be changing uh, in the future. We're just at the beginning of the cell phone revolution. Where do you think we are, Martin, in compared to the United States and let's say China and other countries? They seem like they're a little more advanced than we are in the cell phone arena. Am I correct or wrong there? Depends how you call advanced. Uh, it turns out that, uh, that China has decided to put a huge investment into 5G, uh, and they are deploying 5G faster than we are. But uh, think about that. Does that make any difference uh, to uh, our people? Not really. I think we may be doing things in a better way, but... For the most part, 
You don't have to live with chronic pain. Downtown's Health can show you a better way. Joint pain, back pain, pain that sits and waits. Downtown's Health offers an alternative with physical and regenerative therapy. Call Downtown's Healthcare at 303-292-9992. Now in Lowry or downtown. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Uh, the U.S. is comparable to other countries. Places like South Korea, you can be anywhere in South Korea and you don't run into that problem that you talked about where you don't have a signal. Somehow they, uh, as a country, decided that they were going to have perfect cellular service uh, and they do have better service than most countries in the world. So we have a little catch-up uh, to do, but... Uh, uh, you think we're pretty close then to a lot of these other countries. So the the big push about IoT, the real reason then I guess that it's really starting to blossom is because of the uh, availability, but the number of devices that can be online at one time. I'm thinking that's what 5G is giving us that ability basically to have more reliable and, and allow more uh, nodes on the network. Yeah, I, I, as I told you before, I'm not opposed to 5G. I just think there's an emphasis of uh, you can work on one problem or another. The idea that uh, people in 20% of our country cannot get the benefits of being educated by having a device that can reach out to the internet and, and uh, provide you with all the information in the world. The whole educational process is going to get revolutionized and we're cutting a whole bunch of people out. So I think we ought to be putting as much emphasis on covering those people uh, as we are uh, in uh, uh, introducing augmented reality and all of the things that you. Uh, oh, I, I I agree with you. Look what they're doing in other countries with the uh, COVID apps and trying to track things. We're not really doing that in the United States. We're doing some manual tracking, and we have some apps, but we're not at the same level that they're at where they're able to track those things. Well, you know, sometimes uh, there are disadvantages of living in a democratic country. Uh, very properly, and you gave me an example of that before, we worry a lot about privacy in this. Country. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, putting an ideal system in for covering COVID would really improve on your privacy. I don't think you would want a system that knows where you are all the time, and that information is available to everybody else. So there are some penalties we pay for being in a uh, in a democratic country where we don't want the government to have too much control. It, it's trade-offs, and I'm seeing that these applications that can exist can tell things, but they don't necessarily reveal things about the person. So if you self-identify, for example, and put it into the app, it says that and other people can find it, but it's not really a public information about you. I think the biggest way I would say, uh, Martin, is that I'm very uh, concerned about security and I won't have one of those devices. I won't mention the name. It starts with an A or a G in my home or my business 
because I believe that that voice or that information is going to a database. That database right now is going to be sold to other third parties. It's not the government I'm so concerned about. It's about the vendors. So the governance, I think, is very important that almost like we have a W3C, I think we need to have a consortium for not just IoT, but privacy. And it's going to come under the IoT umbrella because cell phones have been very uh, mundane and not really a privacy issue per se. But when we combine IoT and to have things like wearable devices and cars and other medical devices, they're going to be grabbing certain pieces of information. And if they sell those, and we all know, like a company like F, I'm not going to mention their name, uh, and they had some issues with uh, controversies and uh, some monopolies in the government, and they're trying to look at that. Where does it all come down to who's going to take responsibility? I mean, it was only about six months ago that uh, a not-for-profit started that is actually allowed to bring messages back on those three big platforms. And now today we are still getting companies that are going to do something for a buck. Unfortunately, you know, we were getting one of those agencies that was asking for your passport. And I'm like, you have no right to ask for my passport. You're an online uh, social community. So what they've done is they said, well, if you want to advertise in a, um, election type way or it's a political way well we're going to require your identity so i think there needs to be something martin that when these devices come out there is a standard that has to be followed almost like we have a ul standard i'd like to see something like the uh po a standard the privacy of america standard or POW, maybe not POW, but maybe the POAU uh, standard, Privacy of America Universal Standard. And under that, there are certain things. And if somebody does something wrong, well, they're going to get more into slap on the wrist. I mean, look what happened with that doll. I'm not sure if you followed this about maybe six months, seven months ago. The family bought this doll for their, um, for their daughter. Father thought he was doing a great thing girl was playing with the doll, was having so much fun with the doll, and they were having, they're playing games, and the doll was saying, what can I sing for you? What kind of game can we play? And it all seemed very innocent. Then a week or two goes by, and the doll gets hacked. The doll has no pin code on it. It's linked to an Apple or an Android device. The hacker gets in through the website, and suddenly that same doll that she became friends with is asking other questions. Hi, when are your parents home? Are they here all day? Is your grandmother always here? Does she ever go out? Who are your friends? Where do you go to school? What do you like to do? And this gets what I call live and very dangerous. We wouldn't give our credit card out to a total stranger, right? Then why are we putting so much trust in technology when we haven't first tested ourselves? If, uh, you've uh, put your finger right on it again, John. The whole world of data is upside down now. What, what these companies are doing is analyzing us continuously, just what you said. They know our habits. Mm-hmm. They get information about us. That information has value, right? Yes. And what, it, what they do is they say, well, we're going to give you free uh, uh, internet searching, free browsing, free this, free that. You know there's nothing 
for free. There's nothing free. I use a not-for-profit browser that doesn't steal your information. I use uh, Duck. I think it's called Duck. Um, Duck, Duck, go, go. Duck, 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 go, go. Yeah, and, and it actually does not steal your information. And the searches are not exactly the same, but you know your information is not getting sold anywhere. The way the world should be is that when you give up your personal information, first of all, you should do it when you agree to have it done, and then yes. you should get paid for it. It has value yeah. to somebody. So we have to fix that. Uh, there is an organization, interesting enough, my wife uh, started it, but it's now running by itself, that is going to try to set standards for privacy, just the way you described it. Uh, wow. They haven't yet figured out how to enforce these standards. But once you have standards, now at least we got someplace that, that we can uh, uh, use as a starting point. So Yeah, a benchmark. I think what has to happen, very similar to, you remember U, um, UL Labs, and now they have another one for overseas. It's not UL, but it's a different type of standard. That standard was adopted, and then it was passed into becoming regulation. So whenever you do something, it has to be UL. And it got it was part of local code. So that it has to be UL listed. So now what could happen is, and this is what I see happening, Martin, is that we all, we didn't talk about drones, but when drones are flying around, right? And I, I make this joke a lot of times, there's going to be an additional rider on your insurance soon if you order more than, let's say, one or two packages uh, a month from these services, because you're going to need a rider on your insurance policy for whatever amount of money. Because if something happens to that drone and it crashes into your living room or someone else's home, well, who's going to pay for that? Well, the company can't. So you need to have drone insurance. Yeah. And, and <laughs> the whole thing is unintended consequences. And there are so many. That's one of the reasons we're not going to have automatic driving cars for quite a while. And the technology is going to be ready in three or four or five years. Yeah, but then it's going to take another five years or longer to figure out the ethics part. Tesla's already Tesla's already doing it. Well, uh, sort of. Sort of. I, I wouldn't suggest that you drive uh, automatically in your Tesla car. They force you to keep your hands on that steering wheel all the time. You take your hands off. I know the car I had before. When you drive it. You just hold the wheel. Now, it, it wasn't as smart as the Tesla, but you hold, you just touch the wheel or not even touch it, and it would keep you in lane, lane-keeping assist, or yeah. would it be able to turn? And it wouldn't really get off the exits like the Tesla can do, but you could be driving down the parkway, and it would just be so easy. The car would just like, it's like I'm not even driving. I mean, my hands, it's like, so I think there's a lot of issues with the data, what's happening, but the biggest problem I see, Martin, is that, as all this data is out there, and let's say we need to process data, everyone's going to edge computing and distributed computing, which there's nothing wrong with that. But let's think for a second that you had a cold and I had a cold, and your wife doesn't have a cold, and I have a drink, and there are, let's say, three places to drink from. Now, if I have a cold and you have a cold, there's a chance that somebody else drinks from it, they're going to get a cold. If we had a filter, okay, on each section, and every area was filtered out, and the third area was fine, that person drank, they wouldn't get a cold because it was filtered out. You know what I'm saying? Now, that's a, a, a very loose example, but I think the same thing has to happen to distributed processing. When people are processing stuff in this secure environment, 
it's secure in the environment, but all your stuff is in the same sandbox or the same digital space that everybody else is processing, and they can all cross-contaminate each other. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. And uh, uh, this business that I mentioned that my wife has started, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the principle is that everybody should have control, total control over their own data. And so I agree. What she offers uh, in this business, the name of the company is Rethink, W-R-E Think. Uh, we, we don't have any products yet. We're still in development. But you will get a vault that is your own private vault. And the information in that vault is all encrypted. Nobody can get at it unless you specifically give them permission. Mm -hmm. But more importantly than that, there are tools that you can use to access everything in your vault by every imaginable way. By just, uh, by the date, if you're looking for a picture, you can look for the date, you can look for the people that are in it, you can look for objects that are in the picture, you could look for a bill that you paid uh, over uh, 10 years ago. But so the issue is total privacy, total control, and total access. You need, you need all of those. So the, the, the biggest reason we don't, we've got a privacy problem is people don't care very much. Well, they're, 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 they're very lax, uh, and they don't pay attention to things. I mean, when you go to a website, you know, it says what the cookie policy is. It tells you what's going on. And companies that don't do that, you know, that's not a company you want to do business with because they don't have a privacy policy. And I think that's, you know, real important. But I think education, Martin, is probably the single most important thing that people need to be educated what they're doing. Because a lot of people say, oh, I'm too busy. I don't have time with that. Just, you know, and they go to a store or they go somewhere and they don't even check that the person they're working with doesn't just know what they're doing, but they're safe. So I share this with people not to brag, but one of our clients, actually two of our clients, they're on Wall Street. They're the two of the largest international banks and they actually are the ones that give advice to all the other little banks that we all deal with every day. And so what I said to people is that we went through a level nine certification. And the only thing higher is a level 10, which is where they take blood every time, which I didn't want to bother with. But at a level nine certification, I'm within less than, let's say, half a foot to touching the wire that runs the entire stock market. So... That's very valuable and vulnerable uh, data there. And when you just go and take your cell phone and you give it to every Tom, Joe, and Harry in a store, you haven't asked anything about them. You don't know if that person's a criminal. You don't know anything because they don't run background checks. How many companies do you, Martin, that actually run background checks? We do. We run background checks and ongoing checks to make sure that person wasn't involved in a crime, wasn't involved with any type of scandal. I even want to check if they had a speeding ticket. Because that's going to tell me something. Now, I'm not going above five miles. I'm talking about really speeding or if they had repeated speed tickets. That's going to tell me something about their personality. And so these are little things. But I feel right now there's a lot of people in our world that don't care. It's like don't ask, don't tell. But I tell people what you don't know might cost you a lot someday. Well, you put your finger on it. I'm uh, hung up on education. If, if uh, people were smarter, we would, uh, first of all, you know, we wouldn't have any wars 
there were if we, people were reasonably intelligent, spending a big hunk of our uh, gross national product on weapons to uh, make sure that other people don't use weapons on us. It's all crazy. So exactly. And now with these things like you know we come up with a digital license so that people can't hack it. Somebody will figure out how to hack it someday. But the fact of them wanting to use our biometric data. Now, I don't have a problem with this as long as the biometric data grabs points that are not exclusively to that person. So let's say they took a biometric print of your hand, but they don't take the whole. They just take a couple points enough to tell that it's you, but not enough to be able to reproduce your fingerprint. And that's where I think privacy has some. Uh, flexibility because we don't need to know enough about the person to do a background. We need enough to prove that you're not somebody else. Very complicated, John. Uh, Technology is advancing to the point where you can have a camera look at somebody and potentially know what diseases they have and whether uh, whether they're uh, sick for some other reason, uh, whether they're uh, what their mood is, whether they're happy or suicidal. So uh, how do you handle You're right. We have cameras now that they can look at you, but look at a whole crowd and pinpoint the people that have elevated temperatures. Yeah. So our technology is there. The question is the data is the real issue. You know, what's going to go on with the data? And I think what the government is doing, I don't agree with everything they always do, but I think what they're doing now in trying to decentralize these uh, engines, and I'm not going to mention names, but we all know who they are, they're becoming too much of a monopoly. And by that happening, they can now become the dictator of what happens with the data. That's our problem. They need to be a small piece of it so that if they don't play nice, we just kick them off. And now we've got other people. We've got other aggregators. Uh, many people think this one company that came out with the chip to they called it no uh, no device security or zero uh, security on all devices. They made it seem like it was them that came out with the chip. It wasn't. It was W3C uh, and the not for profit consortium that actually told everyone that if you're going to be processing data, you need to have machines that are zero trust. So I think the problem is, is that. These consortiums are the best thing that we have. And if they keep evolving and keeping our world in it and not staying uh, 100% to the government, 100% to the business, but also a part to the consumer, I feel then our voice will be heard. Because right now, it's how much can I pay you to be quiet? Or how much can I pay you so that you'll look the other way? And I think that's wrong. But all these big companies, Martin, no matter who I'm not going to mention or mention, they're all doing it. Uh, A very big company in the very beginning of the alphabet, we used to do a lot of work with them. We got rid of them. And the reason is, and you'll figure out who I mean in a minute, but this company is nothing but a big marketing advertising company. Now, I'm not against them because I I own one. But the problem is, is that they don't know technology. They pitch that they do, but they don't. And they buy everybody else's stuff. And then at the end of the day, they're buying huge amounts of data. About seven years ago, Martin, so I own a a tech company. I'm an engineer. 
I got tired and I fired one of the largest marketing advertising companies that was taking care of my IT company. They were just taking money, but they weren't doing anything for me. So I fired them. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I bought my first full print production and graphic system. And then I expanded and later I built the center. All these companies that are advertising, they're all after the big money. They're not after uh, supporting the business. I think that's the big issue. A lot of these companies out there, they see a price tag and that's what they want to go for. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I'm an, an optimist, uh, John. I think that uh, that the solution to this problem is somebody is going to come up to compete with these guys that's going to offer uh, privacy, access, all these things that I mentioned before that are the basis of having a good data system. Uh, and uh, either uh, the, the A and G will adapt or, or they'll go out of business. And they'll go out of business and get out of the way. The last two questions I have for you is this. What do you think about blockchain? Now, I don't think it's great for money because people put the wrong code and then suddenly they're going to lose their money. But how do you think it is as far as a process to be something that validates like our health insurance or to validate IoT devices? What do you think about that? You know, the only thing that blockchain does is, is it makes information immutable. And, that, and that's all it does. It doesn't have anything to do with cryptography. That's totally separate. And there are some kinds of financial informations where you want to make sure that when the number is uh, uh, established, that nobody can come in and change it, that you can depend on it. That's where blockchain applies. Trying to make blockchain work for uh, every kind of possible record uh, it doesn't make any sense at all. It's it, only things that are uh, time sensitive, where you, where you need to have the information uh, located so that it, nobody can come in and change it. That's all that blockchain does. But it also has the ability to store the records on other computers. So the data is not sitting all in the cloud. It the, the, the validation is being stored on other people's computers, which I'm not a big fan of. But pieces of that puzzle are stored around. So it could be recreated by using the peer users. Well, but uh, theoretically, at least, somebody controls that. Whoever creates the blockchain system, remember blockchain is not a universal something, it's, some, it's a tool that's applied. And if it's a, a tools are applied properly, they, they work well. And uh, specifically the system that any uh, blockchain uh, is applied to ought to be tailored to that application and you will not have the example that you gave where your information is in places where it should not be. So it really comes down to the companies that are setting the standard because you see it so much in, in, in the financial world, but it's starting to pull out of the financial world because it's causing issues in that world. They're trying to make it more of a validation engine to be used in healthcare or HIPAA compliance because they've seen people lose so much money in the financial world because they forget this 17 weird word password. Yeah. And there's no one, a hundred number to reset your password. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, I hate to keep repeating myself, John, but uh, you try to build something that does all things for all people. It's not going to do any of them optimally. And blockchain is a tool for a very narrow kind of things, but you've identified what the real problem is. So the real problems are controlling your data, keeping other people uh, from looking at it 
and being, being able to access the data. Those are the three basic. And, and the last thing is being able to audit the data. So that if somebody does have access, there's an audit trail. For certain kinds of data, that's for very data, yes. that's exactly yes. right. That's, and, and that's where uh, blockchain is uh, superb. That you can and before I ask you my last question, it reminds me of something you said when you said about uh, the phrase, I think of something when I tell people, you know, you can't be everything to everyone. For if you are, you'll be nothing to no one, which is very similar to what you said in the uh, in the product spectrum. Uh, and I think a lot of people, you know, they go for that whole big pile and they just see it and they don't realize that you need to niche. I was talking to a client the other day and he says, well, I said, what do you do? What do you specialize in? Who do you want to meet? Everyone. I said, well, sir, that's not going to work. We need to get you a niche. Well, I want all business. I said, yeah, but it's never going to work because you're going to try to be everything to everyone and you're not going to do it well. My last question for you, Martin, this has been a really amazing hour. I know our viewers have been on the edge of their chairs um, listening to all the amazing information that you've been sharing with us. What are your plans next? Now, you gave us a little bit about it, but are, what, what are your plans specifically? You told us what your wife's planning. Is that what you're working on, too? Or do you have any other plans uh, that are next in mind to work on? Well, first of all, I, 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 if you'll permit me to do a commercial, I did write a book. Okay. Uh, I sure. I can show you what it looks like. Sure. This book, it's called Cutting the Cord. And we'll be, we'll, we'll be happy, uh, uh, Mr. Cooper, if you send me or send me an electronic copy, I'll be happy to read it and have you on and talk about the book if you'd like. Do you suffer from chronic hip, knee, or shoulder pain? Avoid drug dependency and surgery with Downtowns Healthcare in Denver. Downtowns Healthcare offers regenerative therapies that stimulate the body's self-healing process. Call Downtowns Healthcare at 303-292-9992, now in Lowry or downtown. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. I'm ashamed that we didn't do that already. I will. I will get that out to you very quickly. I, I'd be happy. I'll be happy to have you back on. It was a pleasure uh, just getting to talk with another innovator and engineer that you know really has uh, an understanding for education and really uh, seems to care about everyone else in our lives. And you embrace something uh, that. Uh, actually was one of the reasons I never worked for one of the largest companies in the world. And I started my own. When I was in college, I got a, an offer to work for a specific company. I'm not going to mention who. And when I learned at what I was going to be doing, I was going to be developing systems. And I just said to them, I don't need to know anything before I sign this. I just want to know one thing. It's all you have to answer me. And if the answer to that question is not what I want, I'm going to have to say goodbye before we even go further. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. What I'm developing is a system, and I'm going to be on a team with other people. And they said, yes. I said, okay. And the system that I'm working on is going to be used for protection. They said, yes. I said, okay, that's fine. I said, and if this system happens to be part of our government or not, and it is some type of a system that can protect itself and others, 
am I writing something that is going to teach this system how to learn and possibly destroy people? The person froze. I said, in other words, I don't want to work on a robot that is going to become a destruction machine. Oh, so can you answer that? Well, John, that gets kind of deep. I said, so I don't think I should work for you. He's like, you may not be happy with our culture. <laughs> and I said, I, I thank you for your time. I said, I can't do that. He says, we can make you an even better offer. I said, I bet you could. But I cannot work on software or hardware that's going to kill someone. I'm sorry. And he said, well, he says, uh, you're passing up a big opportunity, but uh, I understand your, your values. Yeah. That's interesting that uh, you do have that that uh, ethical drive. Uh, I, I, I do have a, a way of looking at that uh, that I, uh, too complicated to talk about now, but it's, it's the next to last chapter of my book uh, where I talk about how artificial intelligence will in fact infuse itself into our society. Uh, and uh, uh, it's not unlikely that artificial intelligence will take over. When people ask me, are we concerned about the robots, what you just said? And I say, you know, maybe uh, ultimately we are the robots, that we will evolve into a combination of uh, uh, mechanical, uh, carbon-based uh, flesh, uh, and uh, it will be a superior race to the race we have now. So uh, the only issue is uh, doing it with everything in mind and not, and not uh, running into unintended consequences. And, that, and that's what your biggest concern is. And by the way, I, I happen to agree with you. you uh, if you don't set up the rules, I think that's what you're really talking about, John. If you don't set up rules ahead of time so people don't abuse these new technologies, you can get into a lot of trouble. And uh, we may do get into some problems uh, sooner or later. At the moment, we really don't even understand what artificial intelligence is. It's just it's a, uh, we're still at very early stages now. Uh, it's going to get to be a serious problem. When we remember that, that movie about the robots, and I'm not going to mention the name of the movie, but that movie seems like something out in space. But what I have to say is that that is all very logical and very, very possible. Um, what those machines were doing and how they were operating, they were learning based on data. And so, that is something that we're probably five to 10 years away from. Um, we're talking about something called interconnected cities. And that's really what that was, an interconnected city. I tell people, when you decide to connect everything, realize the consequence of it and make sure that you can take it offline. Because if something ever fails, you don't want your gas, you don't want your heat, you don't want everything being controlled. I don't mind that it is, but have a way to get it off. That's probably the most uh, important thing. And it leads me to my last point in that when you think about a robot, you can't have a robot, you can't teach a robot feelings. Well, you can, but the robot's really not going to have feelings. It's going to have a perception that could make you and I think that the robot has compassion or anger or whatever it is based on some stimuli that we program into it. It can even have a sensor in its arm that could actually warm. So when it puts their arm on somebody, 
the arm is warm, just like a person is. But these are all facades that we can create. And if people get down this road, my feeling is that they're not going to be able to tell what's real and what's not. And that's another scary road that we could go down. Martin, this was an amazing, amazing interview. I hope that you will definitely come back on our show and you'll send me a copy of that book because I would just be so touched to read it and to re-interview you again in a few months and talk more with you about uh, some of your amazing uh, discoveries. Uh, you've got great ideas yourself, and you're a superb interviewer, and anytime you want me, I'll come back. Well, Martin, again, it is a pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, being part of the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show, and uh, please do keep us advised on everything that happens, and uh, even maybe be able to interview your wife someday, too. It sounds very interesting what she's working on, too. Great to meet you, John. Great to meet you as well. Well, we've had first before, Marcus, but I think that is our first to have a gentleman that could ever tell us he is the first person to not only conceive the handheld cell phone, but to talk on it. Boy, just history in the making here on the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. And John, I am truly just honored just to be able to just hear from such greatness in the making here you know this is this is truly remarkable and just to hear the, about the first phone call he made <laughs> to a competitor <laughs> you know i was expecting that maybe his wife or someone like that but you know. i thought so too yeah. he made it to his competitor and the funny thing is that i remember hearing from him is that he said that the person to this day doesn't have any recollection of the <laughs> phone call now i don't know if he was still pulling his leg or if he really didn't remember the call yeah just truly classic and uh, from a from a truly uh, classy man and uh someone who is uh, definitely you know brilliant you know and you know still the mind still sharp still sharp He's amazing, and he's going to be back again uh, later on. He actually wrote a great book, and he's working on some other things. So we're going to see uh, Mr. Martin Cooper again uh, on our show. I am very anxious to read uh, his book that he wrote and um, share that with you and interview him again. I mean, when you can have guests like this that can impart knowledge to us about technology that we take for granted every single day of our lives, that's just priceless. Yeah, it truly is. You know, it, it really gives you a better introspective uh, into just, you know, what, what, what we're doing as far as advancing, you know, humanity, the human race, and, and, and how important it is that we continue to just, you know, invest in these things uh, that we uh, use on a daily basis. Exactly. So I definitely want to thank uh, Mr. Cooper for taking the time and giving us an amazing interview. I think our viewers definitely uh, appreciate that tonight. And if you're just tuning in now and you missed it, well, you need to go back and watch that uh, again. It was a great interview with him. And I think that if you didn't ever have a first in your life, then you need to watch this because uh, this definitely was history in the making here on the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show on March 26th, 2021, to have the man 
to talk on a cell phone and the man that conceived the first handheld cell phone. Absolutely. That was just a real breathtaking moment. Well, we have one more topic on our show tonight and it's NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Say that word a few million times fast. (laughs) Well, what is an NFT other than a fancy word? It is a certain type of of, uh, unit and it's part of a blockchain. Uh, We call it an NFT for short. And it represents a digital item that cannot be interchanged. So by using this uh, type of unit, blockchains such as we know, uh, such as Ethereum uh, and Flow, have their own token standards to define the use of what they call NFTs. Now, they can be used commonly in digital creations such as art, games, uh, collateral, but an NFT in itself isn't worth any money directly. Something has to give it value, Marcus. Yeah. Our world is changing with non-fungible tokens. And by understanding this, you can use these tokens to purchase a game. I'm sure you remember going to the arcade and you know, you're trading in your dollar mm-hmm. for what was it, four tokens or eight tokens. And yeah. those tokens really weren't worth anything. Even though you got eight tokens or 10 tokens for the dollar, you couldn't convert them back into a dollar bill again. Mm-hmm. So I think when we talk about blockchain and where things are going, we need to understand a couple things. We need to understand first that there are these different types of currencies and that they don't directly have value, but they're assigned value based on what the entity is giving them. Mm. A dollar itself today isn't really worth any money. Now, people are going to be like, what are you talking about? A dollar bill has no money. A $20 bill has no value. A $100 bill has no value. What is he talking about? I use them every day. Well, the only reason you're able to use your dollar bill, your $10 bill, your $20 bill, or your $100 bill is because the U.S. Treasury has given it value. That's the only reason. That paper is not worth anything. They have said that this paper stands for a value. And so when we think about NFTs and where they're going, it has a lot of people concerned because, you know, non-fungible, it's unique and it can't be replaced with something else. And so when you say, I've got a dollar and I can give you four quarters, that's easy to understand, right? Or if I have a $10 bill and I can give you 10 singles, that's easy to understand. Do you suffer from chronic hip, knee, or shoulder pain? Avoid drug dependency and surgery with Downtown's Healthcare in Denver. Downtown's Healthcare offers regenerative therapies that stimulate the body's self-healing process. Call Downtown's Healthcare at 303-292-9992, now in Lowry or downtown. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. You can't do that with a non-fungible token. Just can't do that. It has no direct value. So that means that an NFT being part of a blockchain is what we call a cryptocurrency, like Bitcoin or Dogecoin or many other types of coin or Ethereum. Um, and they support NFTs. And they have extra information that makes them worth things differently. And based on this information, this is what allows them to have a value. But you have to realize one thing about these types of cryptocurrencies. They're volatile. They could skyrocket one moment, and the next moment they could go down. Now, I'm not saying they could go down to zero in a moment, especially with companies like uh, you know, Tesla and other companies being able to invest in them. I don't think they're going to go to zero, but I don't think that they are going to just be the safest investment. If everyone put their money into blockchain tomorrow, they might be unhappy if they woke up one day and some of that was gone. Hmm. You know, think of blockchain, at least in cryptocurrency, a little bit like gambling. Now, it's not a gamble like you'd go to the casino and you put money in the machine and hope you you get something after you get $3 bills or two lemons or three lemons or three bars or four bars or six bars or whatever it is. It's not like that. This basically has a value based on its worth. And that worth is dependent on the amount of people that buy it. So that's different than the U.S. economy, isn't it? The more people that get a dollar, you don't buy money. Money is given as tender and trade because many years ago you remember when we had cows and livestock well they didn't have money back then Mm -hmm. or they couldn't afford the kind of money they needed so what they say is okay well i need some uh work done on my barn i'll trade you uh two of my cattle and they set a value on that based on the supply and the demand for that particular cattle on the ranch. What's a little bit funny about crypto is we don't quite know how it gets its value. It can go up, it can go down. So if you were, let's say, taking crypto as a payment currency instead of credit cards, you take $100 and you wait, that $100 could go up, but then a few weeks that $100 could go way down. It's a volatile commodity. I like cryptocurrency from the perspective to manage, own, and retain it based on other people earning it. But I don't like the idea of ever buying cryptocurrency to replace cash. Right. Because that volatility is just going to be all over the market. And I think people need to understand that. 
You know, it's not FDIC insured. It never will be. And if you understand that that's how cryptocurrency works, and you're going to be someone that think of it like a day trader and you get your money and you trade out, well, who's going to watch their money that closely? Are you going to watch it every second? Oh my gosh, I better, I better withdraw it in about 20 minutes or I'm going to lose it. Or maybe I should leave it in, let it cook or let it get a little warmer for another few hours and then I'll take it out. People don't want to deal with that. You know what that's like, Marcus? That's like day trading. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, and we, we all know that you can lose a lot of money day trading, you know. Um, and yeah, as much as you can gain it, you can lose it just in, in three seconds, literally. <laughs> so I will tell you this. There is one particular, and, and you know, I usually don't recommend these things, but there is one particular uh, company that I've actually uh, been involved with. And the only reason I share it with you guys is because there's a lot of bad companies out there. And what I mean by that is they, they give you a false line of goods. That's, that's the best way to explain it to you. They tell you that you're going to make, uh, you're gonna make um, the sun, the moon, the stars. And really, you, you don't make anything because at the end of the day, nothing is really guaranteed. There is a, a company that I had uh, I've been with for a very long time called gspresentation.com uh, or GS Partners. And that's great for somebody who wants to be in on the opportunity to make the money. But being a user is something totally different. And the other thing that I like with this organization, Marcus, is that they allow you to take money and actually have it anonymously. Mm. So you can make money privately. And that money can then be spent on a card you can purchase anonymously. What I think is going to happen, Marcus, is those that don't get in on this grandfather level, the rules are going to change with the IRS and the government five to 10 years. And anybody that gets in is no longer going to be anonymous. But those that came in on the grandfather leather level, they're not going to be able to touch those people. Yes because this is something that is so new to the world. But if you're gonna use cryptocurrency and think that you're gonna make a million dollars, you'll probably lose 10 million. Right. Because we all know how fast you lose money in cryptocurrency. If you're gonna use it to make money, I think it's a great concept as long as you're not using it for the money making, you're using the opportunity to make money. Other people investing. But when you ask people to get cryptocurrency and to buy it, we're going to eventually lose the dollar bill someday. It's going to go away. We're going to go to digital currency. And that digital currency is going to have a value. I think right now, everybody thinks cryptocurrency is the be all end all. And although it's very good and it's great, there are things you need to understand or you could lose your shirt. <laughs> yeah and a leg right along with it so yeah the leg and everything right along <laughs> with it and and before you know it where, where you started that little bit of profit that you started you're going to be upside down and what we mean mm -hmm. by upside down for those of you that are following us we don't mean an ice cream sundae that you would turn upside down you know and just have to turn right up we're talking that if you had a value of something let's say that was a million dollars well your value will now be negative a million dollars 
or actually just a penny less than that. Because if you were at negative a million dollars, you wouldn't have lost anything. You would have broke even. If you're negative a million and one dollars, well, now you're going to be in the hole. So that's what we mean by being upside down. And when you get upside down, it's not very easy to turn that right side up like it is a snow cone or an ice cream no, cone. No, not at all. Well, listen, this was a great show. And before we, we sign off for tonight, I want to let you know that we have another great guest coming up. I'm sure you knew that. We have another great guest coming up uh, next week. And, you know, with these great guests we have, uh, it is absolutely amazing. And I just, I love interviewing. So with our next guest, we're going to be, Marcus, into the first, can you believe this? We're going to be into the first Friday of April. You know, once again, these these things just these days just grow roll around in here. We, we before you know it, we'd be in May. <laughs> <laughs> Joel Hook, a great person who wrote an amazing book, and uh, we're gonna get to talk to him because he has uh, a story uh, that we're gonna learn from him, and his book. Uh, which you may or may not be familiar with. It's called The Eggshell Effect. We'll have a link to it on our next show. But this is really interesting. And what I want to tell you is it has nothing to do with making eggs. It has something to do with a lesson that he learned. Um, I read his book. <laughs> I, I, by the way, in case you guys are wondering, when an author comes on the show, I read the entire book before they come on the show from cover to cover. And once I've read the book, it's only then that I interview them. And I actually know what they're talking about because I've read the entire book. I can tell you that this book is amazing. I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag. He talks about his life and how he had a lot of challenges and how a man that had all these challenges, just when you'd be like, it's time to give up, he kept getting back on the saddle and just keep pursuing it through. My uh, tip for today I want to leave you with is the letter Y. And that is to know your truth, your truth for passion, your heart, your dream, and your life. You need to know your truth. And if you know it, or you're still finding it, that's fine. But don't give up until you find your truth. Because only when you found your truth, can you be the person that you were intended to be. Well, I hope you have all enjoyed uh, another one of the Jay Moore Tech Talk shows. If you have an idea, ladies and gentlemen, for a show, please visit jmor.com. If you have a product that you'd like me to unbox, visit our, our website as well. Let me know what you'd like me to unbox. You know, um, happy to uh, unbox a product, review a product, share our show with your friends, uh, with your colleagues, with your associates. And we especially want to say thank you uh, to Princeton TV uh, for letting us air on their channel. We're very grateful to your audience. And of course, if you guys have ideas there at the school or in the community, we would be honored to have you as a guest on the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. Until next show, I invite all of you to be healthy, 
to be smart, practice social distancing. Of course, wash your hands frequently. Don't lose your head. Enjoy life. Get out there and just realize that there's so much potential in this world when you just open up your mind and say yes. Well, I guess we got to say goodbye, Marcus. It has been a pleasure. And we'll see you next month on Friday with Mr. Joel Hulk. So you definitely don't want to miss that and the eggshell effect. We'll see you then. Have a great weekend. Thank you for tuning in to the Jay Moore Weekly Technology Show, where we answer your questions about how technology is supposed to work and sometimes why you have challenges getting it to work that way. For more IT support and tips, just text IT support to 888 That's IT support to 888 and you'll get tips on technology. I'll see you next week right here on the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. Remember, jmor.com. Do you suffer from chronic hip, knee, or shoulder pain? Avoid drug dependency and surgery with Downtowns Healthcare in Denver. Downtowns Healthcare offers regenerative therapies that stimulate the body's self-healing process. Call Downtowns Healthcare at 303-292-9992, now in Lowry or downtown.